This episode is brought to you by our friends at Squiz. Squiz is a student experience platform that offers a full suite of solutions developed exclusively for higher education. Squiz has so many exceptional products that are worth checking out, but the two that I've been most impressed by are their custom site search product, Funnelback, and their website platform, which is a true DXP. And don't worry, I'll explain what that means in just a second. For the next wave of digital natives, search is not ancillary to navigation. Search is navigation. And Funnelback enables schools like yours to build custom smart site search. So that way your nursing program actually comes up when someone searches nursing instead of that one nursing faculty event registration page from like two years ago. And their DXP, it's so much more than a traditional website CMS. A CMS is meant for exactly what it claims to be, content management. It's an important part of your marketing tech stack and important part of the student life cycle. But that's just it. It's just a part. A DXP, a digital experience platform, is built to be the hub of your MarTech stack. It relies on powerful integrations, data management, and an open platform in order to create the kind of experiences simply not possible with a normal CMS. Say goodbye to the finicky plugins of WordPress and the crappy site architecture of Drupal that hurts your SEO and get ready to meet the fastest, most powerful, and most personalized website platform for colleges and universities on the market. Today, the student experience begins online, not at school. And as an enrollment marketer, your job is to ensure that prospective students find what they are looking for as quickly and as easily as possible. Squiz is the secret friction reducers that schools across the globe are using to not just attract the next generation of students, but nurture them to the point of enrollment in a way that is conducive and not counter to how they consume information and make purchasing decisions. You can learn more about Squiz at enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Buzicruz, and I am the host of today's episode. And today, I am joined by Amy Glynn, who is from Campus Logic, where she serves as their VP of Student Financial Success. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks, Zach. I'm super excited to be here. Well, great. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. I'm super excited for today's conversation because it's on a topic that we don't spend too much time actually talking about on this show. Um, but before we sort of dive into today's conversation, Amy, could you just give us the sort of Cliff's Notes overview of who you are and you know what your career to date has looked like? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I have to say, I think it's a little bit of a shame that you don't spend more time talking about financial aid. Isn't everybody super excited by financial aid? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a former director of financial aid. Um, and, and like most people, I didn't really fall into the profession intentionally. I sort of fell into it. Um, and so have been working in higher education since 2015. The first eight years were at different schools across the country where I helped rebuild kind of financial aid offices that were struggling with efficiency and student experience. And then over the last eight years, I was lucky enough to join Campus Logic, um, which is a software company, and serve at, served in a lot of different roles here, um, from product management to customer success in the early days and implementation of some of our clients, 
and then into my role today where I really get to evangelize and talk about how we can fix the funding journey for our students and institutions. For the uh, the schools that you worked at, are do they sort of run the gamut, small liberal arts to large public institutions? Or talk, what were the makeup of those institutions? Yeah, so I, I started my career in proprietary education um, and worked at small smaller organizations um, across the country. Awesome, awesome. Well, appreciate that context. Um, and then I do want to give you the opportunity to just give us the sort of quick elevator pitch for Campus Logic. I'm sure that many of our listeners have uh, are familiar with you all and or have interacted with one or more of your your products. But uh, for those that aren't familiar and for those that might know you through sort of one lens or, or one specific product, can you just give us sort of a quick crash course on who you all are and, and what you guys do? Yeah. So Campus Logic develops software as a service or SaaS products that help reduce friction in the college funding journey um, from the time students are shopping for school in high school to when they begin repaying. So we currently work with 754 colleges that represent just over 6 million students who are actively enrolled in college. Wow. And the, yeah, it's a lot, right? Like you, you say the number and you're like, wow, that's a lot of students. <laughs> <laughs> Product focus on simplifying um, that complex funding process for both students and staff while creating a highly personalized interactions uh, to help students gain access to, to every dollar available to pay for school. So the product lineup includes micro scholarship platforms, financial aid forms and verification solutions, scholarship management and matching, digital communication tools, a virtual advising suite, but really everything for us drives back to our mission, which is to help schools change lives, hmm. where we feel the best way to do this is to drive solutions that will increase, enroll excuse me, increase enrollment and retention, ultimately reducing the number of students who drop out or fail to enroll due to, due to financial reasons. And in terms of how most institutions engage with Campus Logic, are they typically you know, buying one of your products or service, you know, a package of services? Are, are they typically accessing the whole product suite? I'm sure it varies a little bit, but like, what is yeah. sort of like the normal way in which a school would engage with you? So ideally, we would love for institutions to buy the full suite of all seven, <laughs> all seven tools. Who doesn't, right? Um, but, but in reality, we see that probably about 50% of our institutions have two plus um, components of the products. And, and, and the greatest value really becomes when they start to layer things on top of each other. Um, you know, just take, for example, our verification platform. Um, if you tie in our virtual advisor component, it allows chat and handoff to, to an assistant right within the product, right? So you're really doubling the value of, of being able to reduce the complexity of that singular process within the aid journey. Amazing. Well, hey, I appreciate that context, and uh, we'll you know circle back, and I have a couple of additional questions that are campus logic-y that we can come back to, but um, I want to move on. More and than happy to answer those, but <laughs> not necessarily what I'm here to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe part two. Um, but you know, today, uh, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about financial aid, um, and we're really going to attempt to cover a fair amount of ground in this relatively short uh, time frame here. And I want to talk about sort of the current student debt crisis um, to things like the communication strategies and tactics that enrollment teams are using to present aid awards, um, and then mm -hmm. how to think differently about the role that financial aid counselors play in the admissions process, all things that I know that you 
um, are well-versed in and have uh, have passion about. So I, could you just give us, uh, before we dive in further, a crash course, uh, sort of a lay of the land, if you will, of like the current state of financial aid. So take that in whatever direction you want. Um, but I think it would be helpful to just, right, we're obviously living in a moment where we've come out of a global pandemic, not even really come out of it, we're still in it, but it feels like yeah. we should be coming out of it. Um, a year plus into into sort of uh, an event that will forever change the world. Um, what is the current lay of the land of, of financial aid? And, um, you know, how would you describe if you're a, a colleague asked you to talk about some of the trends that you're seeing and or just the challenges that are we're uniquely wrestling with at this time around sort mm -hmm. of all things aid. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Like like you were saying, from from both the emotional and financial state of our students to those of our institutions to the regulatory landscape, um, it's actually it's probably one, it, it's going to be one of the fundamental points in financial aid where we can see a clear delineation about the way things used to be and the mm. way things are going to be in the future. Um, so when you think about, when you think about aid offices, um, there's, we've invested a lot in, in the journey of, of shopping for college, right? But a lot of that investment has been on the front end with, with the people who are actually listening right now, right? Our, our admissions and our enrollment teams have all of these high powered solutions um, and engagement tools. And we've kind of left financially a little bit in the stone age, right? Like, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about institutions that when, when they went virtual, they didn't have a way to collect documentation even from yeah. their students, right? They, they're, they had, they still had fax machines and they had physical mail. And so this movement to, to an electronic universe has kind of, a, it accelerated the ability of the aid office to actually access some of those technologies that places like enrollment or academics may have already had some resources. So, so we've seen some shift there from, from a technology standpoint. Um, of course, everybody right now, Budgets are hot topic for every institution, as is enrollment, right, which dictates how much money a college has. So we're all being asked to do more with less. And at the same time, the need for really personalized financial conversations has increased, right? We know that 50% of people probably have, have a reduced income um, within the last year or facing unemployment. So that means we really need to get the word out about appeals processes to have access to more federal dollars, we need more state dollars, institutional dollars. Um, we have these, you know, we've had a ton of regulatory stuff. If I need to stop and take a breath, Zach, just tell me. Okay. No, no, actually, actually, <laughs> no, there's, there's a lot there and I want you to keep going, but I want to actually ask a, a follow-up question real fast on the, yeah. the technology um, side of things. So, why, like, why? I'm just curious from your your perspective as somebody who's a thought leader in the space and has and has lived both uh, in financial aid within the context of an institution, and now you're working at a company that helps serve institutions and in a number of you know different kinds of institutions. Why do you think we're stuck in the quote unquote Stone Age um, when it comes to aid? Like, is it is it simply because historically, you know, institutions have had, had just had 
all of the power when it comes to sort of the 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 purchasing process at the end of the day is it because like institutions feel like you know uh perspective applicants if they really do want to come here they're going to jump through all of the hurdles that we put in their way and it's okay to be archaic because it's college and it should be like what do you why do you think we haven't progressed further than where we're at right now as it pertains to sort of communication around aid and specifically the technology the piece i i Mm -hmm. I, you know remember in in college too receiving my financial aid award looking at it and being just confused quite honestly and it was a piece of paper and it was like I were three pieces of paper and I had to do all these different things and go to four different places on on the website to like confirm you know what the difference between like an unsubsidized versus subsidized loan was and like you know had to educate myself on terms I had no idea what this stuff meant right so why why do you think from your perspective that we're just so far behind so I think it's I think there's a couple of things going on here um and and so I think that one of one of the things with financial aid is that we have we've gone down a road where financial aid administrators are are forced through the system that we've created to be so regulatory minded. Hmm. Right? There's a rule for everything. There's, you know, there's like 20,000 pages of federal regulatory and subregulatory guidance for financial aid administrators that they have to follow. And that's before you get into NCAA regulations, accreditation regulations, right? So we've we've created this so, so much complexity with the regulatory framework. And we've created a punitive system for aid administrators, hmm. right? Like the, the entire audit process. You think about it, like the the Department of Education comes in and they audit you and all they do is slap you on the wrist and you get in trouble, you get in trouble for things. Um, And so that mindset tends to stifle people. Um, It tends to not want people to, to, it tends to lead to less creativity in in the process and in the communication. Um, and, And I think that, that also just kind of lends itself maybe to to some people who have difficulty expressing the importance and the value that they actually bring to the institution Hmm. Um, and and figuring out how to, I'll tell you, we work with a lot of institutions and, and directors of financial aid in particular on how to build a use case, right? How to say to the institution, we're worth it. Not only are we as staff worth you investing in this technology and this experience, but students are worth it too. And Hmm. they deserve a better experience. Hmm. So I think that, and you know what, sometimes, sometimes you look at it and you're like, well, it's not really broken, right? And those, I have, people can't see me, but I have air quotes around broken. It's not really broken. It's working. Um, In, in the past, though this may not have been the financial aid mindset, but in the past, a lot of institutions haven't had to scrape as much for the enrollments because, because we had that ever-growing population of, of high school students, right? The funnel was actually expanding for our colleges, whereas we're now coming into a time where we're seeing a retraction hmm. and it becomes a little, there's a, 
there's a little more scrapping going on. And I don't know, that's, again, I'm not in that space every day, like, like your listeners are, but I think some of those things are, are part of it um, from a technology standpoint. Yeah. I think the, the aid offer is different, right? Um, it's hard as financial aid people to get students to read our communications. Yeah. Um, so there's a technology component too, right? I don't necessarily have access to the Ferrari of CRMs um, that your listeners do. So I'm left with the tech that I've got, which is probably an SIS, uh, you know, a banner of PeopleSoft, a something, which isn't necessarily, right? There's a reason you guys don't use them. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're not super flexible. They don't necessarily create the most engaging communications. Um, so there's that component that can stifle us a little bit. I also think that we need, again, getting back to like that skill set, we, we see more and more financial aid officers offices actually employing a communications manager. And, and it's sometimes shared with the enrollment office. And, and that's because communication is hard. Yeah. And we're communicating really complex um, items. They're, they're financial and there's there's all kinds of confusion that can go on go on around them. And so I think one of the biggest things with the aid offer is it's become a catch-all of communications, hmm. right? I need to tell students these 15 things and I know they care about how they're going to pay for college. So they're going to open this. So one of my big things is schools need to start looking at their aid offer and every piece of information that's on there, they need to say, what is the purpose of this communication? And how does this piece of information support that purpose? Hmm. Why are we including it? Hmm. Um, and then just, just simply, you know, communicating in order. You need to have full cost on your offer. You need to have the, the aid on there starting with the best, you know, being your, your gift aid, your free aid, um, moving into your self-help aid. You need to be clear next steps. And we need to start doing some calculations for students, right? Like, like there's, there's kind of, and I, I was, I did this, right? When I was in the aid office, I would, my award letters initially, I'd be like, well, they've got the cost, they've got their financial aid, like A minus B equals C, right? This isn't hard, but really by the time students are so hyped up when they open that offer that they're just overwhelmed at the idea. And we've kind of created a narrative that you should be overwhelmed by the financial aid process. Like the media has created that narrative. Um, and so if everybody tells you, right, Zach, you're going to sit down with Amy and it's going to be the most stressful conversation of your life. You're going to, you're going to come to this conversation and you're going to be like, Ooh, what's going on? And it's the same thing with aid offers, right? We've, and the aid process. Um, so those are a couple of, couple of high level thoughts. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting. I'm thinking like when you are working as a, or when you're a prospective student and you're interacting with a, you know, your, your dream school, or you're visiting a, 
a campus and you're meeting with the enrollment team and you're served an awesome, you know, plate of cookies and there's music in the background and you meet these student ambassadors and it's like pump, everyone's excited. And then, then you go on the campus tour and then, you know, you get a goodie bag on your way out. Right. Like, and that's like the experience of like the enrollment management team, even if a prospective student has no idea, like, you know, organizationally what that team is. And then like the financial aid office is a little bit like the DMV, right? It's like, it's like, (laughs) it's like a must do. You've got to do it, right? Like it's important. You know that if you're going to walk out, right, with what you need, right, with all the information in order to, you know, be a a good student citizen um, in order to pay, you know, pay the bills, it's a, it's a must do. Um, But right, it's got all these like, uh, uh, connotations of like dread and, yeah. and frustration and almost, and I don't think that this is intentional, but you almost feel like there's a little bit of sleaziness going on of like, Ooh, like art, like, okay. You know, when, when they're paying, you know, we've, we've got this huge number, right. That I'm looking at. Right. And, and I don't yeah. really understand all of these different terms, these subcategories of funds. Right. And like, Oh, I'm paying for these amenities and then I'm paying for, this is what it's going to cost to live on campus versus like my, my meal plan. Oh, well that meal plan is a recommended budget. It's not, you know, it's not necessarily true that I'm going to have to pay $10,000 a semester for food. Right. And it's to your point, it's just confusing. Um, and I think like the, the, uh, you know, unsophisticated shopper who's a 17 year old, right? Like looking at this, if they have parents who can help them, that's great. Help them unpack that. But your average 17 year old, this is the first time they're really trying to make sense of what does $20,000 or, you know, $10,000 or $40,000 even mean? Like that, how do you even wrap your head around that? Um, anyway, so, so all that is to say is that your point about fleshing out, like, very clearly, right? What this is, what this means, and what I'm actually supposed to do with this information and my options, like, you know, choose your own adventure sort of thing. I just feel like there is a dearth of great communications around aid. And I'd love to see more schools remedy that, that situation. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, a a couple of the points that you made are, are so on target, right? We, we have this process where we've we've taken students and we have they've fallen in love with these institutions right they can see themselves at the football game they can see themselves walking across quad in the fall and then it's like okay they love it and then we start talking about financing i mean it's like going to the lamborghini dealership and being like zach just don't worry get in the car (laughs) you're gonna love it drive it around for a week Right. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, so let's talk about how you're going to pay for that. Yeah. And that's just that that's really that's really difficult for our aid administrators um, because the message they're delivering isn't always the one they want to deliver. Right. They would love to, to be able to fund everybody. They'd love to have a magic money tree out back and be able to say everybody can go to school here. But the reality is that they're delivering messages and options that that they didn't create. If the federal government created them, yeah. the state created them, the institution created them, and we just haven't we haven't given them always the tools necessary to be able to help and support students. So I think that that's a lot of times why, from a public standpoint, 
financial aid offices kind of get a bad rap, right? Because they're the they're the deliverer of the message about what funding options a student has. Um, and, and eventually we reached the bottom of our tool bag, right? And no matter how much we needed needle nose pliers to fix the car, all we have is a hammer. And mm. so it's, it's, it's real difficult to be in that position delivering that message. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about your thoughts around uh, student success being built uh, in, in many institutional contexts solely on sort of like academic pillars, right? And this idea mm. that like student outcomes and student success um, are, are, are pretty much solely built on, you know, outcomes with respect to how, how well a student does through the, their coursework, right? Or like, do they get a job upon graduation? And, and those, those are typically sort of the things that we use at, at colleges and universities to like talk about student success. And you, you argue, um, and you've written a fair amount about sort of like, hey, we also really need to be thinking about student financial success and sort of like the role that that plays in how we evaluate outcomes, how we evaluate how we're doing as a college or university at uh, producing uh, citizens that can uh, operate well in the world and you know, aren't going to be drowning in debt for 20 years after graduation. So can you just talk a little bit more about like what student financial success looks like um, and to you and sort of some, any sort of framework that you think that might be helpful for our listeners to understand just why this is so important. Yeah. So when, when we talk about student financial success, it's really hard to define a measure of success, but here's the way I try and explain it to people. We will have achieved true student financial success when we have eliminated the crisis that occurs when students leave school with debt but no degree. Hmm. It's estimated that right now we have over 19 million students who have debt but have not accomplished a degree. Um, so that's a subset of that 36 million of some college no degree, right? We, we estimate that around 19 million of them hold student debt. Wow. That to me is a tragedy, right? Because students came to college to better their knowledge, to better their opportunity, and to, to inevitably better themselves financially. They have a new bill, they don't have a new skill, and they don't have a means to a better financial future. So that's what I want. That's how I define it and want to eliminate it. And so when we look at this, when we look at this scenario, right, students all the way through the funnel, the linchpin that makes the decision for a student is finances. Students can't enroll in a college they can't afford, right? And over 30% of students who do not enroll report ability to afford as the reason they did not enroll. So from the very yeah. beginning, if they can't pay for it, they can't come to campus. Students can't be successful if they can't continue to afford their bill, right? This is simple Maslow's hierarchy, <laughs> basic needs. Health, you know, food, water, warmth, rest. If students cannot fill the base of that triangle, they can't ever get the self-improvement, right? They can't ever get beyond basic needs. And there's, I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and 
you know, spews facts at you. There's, we all know that housing and food insecurity is a huge issue on college campuses. This comes down to, to finances, ability to pay. Um, students who can't, students don't have a, good, a place to sleep, right? How do you expect them to succeed academically? You know, 42% say that they've had housing insecurity at, at a four-year institution, right? How can we expect those students facing these basic needs struggles that tie back to their ability to afford to be successful academically? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, again, right? Like financing in college, it's not a one-year thing. Students can't stay enrolled if they can't pay for school. 70% um, of students are at a four-year institution are worried about how they're going to pay for their next semester. Like not the entire program, the next, you know, the next semester. Um, and so it's, it's really about being able to address the financing in a fully sustainable way um, that that's important and will continue to lead to more academic success, more completion, more job placement, right? Like it's it's the component that's been under invested into this point. We've made lots of investment in academic readiness, counseling, um, you know, red flag systems on, on the academic side, but we haven't put the same attention into finances. And if we really want to move the needle on completion, on enrollment and completion, where we need to focus next is on the finances. Oh, so many, so many follow-up questions. Um, that was, that was super helpful. I'm curious in terms of just like, obviously there's a fair amount of this, right? As we, as you discussed earlier, that's regulation and just a ton of red tape. And there are, you know, uh, systems and processes in place that like college and universities just can't change, right? Or can't easily change. So understanding mm -hmm. sort of those, those frameworks that exist, like I'm curious to, to hear a little bit more about specifically what can schools do differently um, uh, in order to help better educate uh, prospective students uh, at this you know point in time, most of these folks, right? Are, are applicants um, when they're, you know, at the point in time that they're receiving their aid offer, what do schools need to do to actually change the way in which, um, you know, students can interpret and understand what their options are? Um, and then, so I'm going to ask you two, two questions here. That's part A. Part B is I'd love like your thoughts, and maybe this is a separate question, but on on like income share agreements and like what what like the Lambda schools of the world are doing right now, right? With like, mm -hmm. hey, come here for free. Um, we're going to train you on how to do something mostly technical. Um, then we're going to, we will, you, you only have to pay us if we get you a, you know, 50 K plus sort of job in your respective area of interest. And then, you know, you've, you've got to pay us back over, you know, five, 10 years, whatever it is. Uh, I'm just curious again, maybe that's a potential solution. I have no idea what your thoughts are on income share agreements and in general, but like, I guess the, the overarching question is. What can schools do uh, to operate differently than they are today? What resources and strategies can they tap into um, without, like, you know, changing uh, policy? Um, yeah. You know, many financial aid counselors, directors aren't in a position to, to affect policy. You know, I would disagree with you a little bit there. Okay. They think they're, they think they're not. 
Um, but they have the most powerful underutilized voice in the policy discussion. Hmm. Um, part of the reason that we are in the situation that we are in is that um, both Washington and, and our state governments don't hear enough from our aid administrators and the people that are actually on the ground that can look at the implementation of these policies and see unintended consequences. I can tell you every time the federal government tries to simplify something, it complicates the system. <laughs> like, and I think if we had more really strong advocates from the aid community having those conversations, then then it would create an even more powerful system. So that wasn't even your question. That was like an aside comment. You no, that's it. good. No, I, I appreciate that <laughs> clarification and that and that point of view. And that's 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 very, very interesting. Um, so but what what can schools do? Um, so I think when you look at the aid office, right, we've talked about this. Again, I'm going to go back to another triangle. So we've got we've got three three buckets of work that that aid offices are doing. And so we have administrative work. So this is going to be um, really the day to day, like the regulatory stuff, right? We have things like um, verification, reconciliation, like all of the all of the kind of regulatory tasks that need to be done. And that's the that's where they spend the majority of their time right now. And then we have routine support of students, right? Answering basic questions, doing follow-ups, sending out communications. And then we have advising. And unfortunately, right now, advising is the top of the triangle, which means that we spend the least amount of time doing that. Hmm. And what we really need to do is we need to flip that narrative. Um, and we need to have the majority of our work and time go to advising or counseling, right? At one point, financial aid advisors were called financial aid counselors. They are at some institutions still, um, but they do very little counseling. Hmm. And this is where students need there's, to your point, right, like there's a certain portion of students who they they know how they're going to pay for school. It's not a concern, right? They take their financial aid package, they take it to mom and dad, and they're like, yep, this is great. But that's not the majority. So we need to spend more time in highly personalized activities. So I'm a big believer in we need to use technology to automate the and reduce the burden of that administrative work, even the routine support. Um, there's there's a lot that can be done, to your point, around better communications, proactive communications, right? Stop the, 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 we need to supply people with the skills and the resources that aid offices become proactive instead of reactive. Um, and right now we're just pro solving problems that come, like we're firefighting, right? Mm. Instead of, um, installing suppression systems. I don't know. <laughs> my, my analogy went, went off the rails there. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we just need to, we need to use better skills to, or better opportunities to flip that, that narrative. Um, and, and to your point right now, we're consumed by compliance, transactional activities, and, and we need to, we need to look at ways to reduce that. The other thing is, we need to look at ways to make the regulations actually work for us instead of against us, hmm. right? Right, right now, there are are some people who who use 
the the regulations as an excuse to say no um, instead of using it as an opportunity to figure out how to paint kind of I'm a regulatory person, right? So I don't want this to come across wrong, but it's a pain in the client. The more you get into financial aid, I got into this like 16 years ago, right? And I thought, oh, well, this is going to be easy. Financial aid is black and white, right? Like there's regulations for this. There's laws for this. There's rules for this. And the more you get into it, you realize, wow, there's a lot of interpretation. There's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of space for schools to play and be creative. Mm. Um, they just need to they just need to look at it a little differently. Ooh, I like that. And I think that it'd be really neat to to hear a little bit more about, you know, how schools can be creative in this space. Cause I think that that's that's where you from a differentiation standpoint, right? Like if you can nail that and you can effectively communicate that um, in, in an era where schools are hungry to to communicate their difference, um, that could be yeah. key. Yeah, it really is. It really, it's, it, it can be, you know, it can be the difference maker between being a bridge and a barrier to, to the process. So what are, just to circle back on this quickly, what are your thoughts on like income share agreements, generally speaking, and the role that they play in Um, education? Yeah. So, um, I think it depends about, about ISAs. I think there's, um, it's, it's interesting to me, the space is interesting. You know, there's a couple of big players out there that are kind of testing it out in like the Purdue's. Um, obviously, it's the most well-known, right, back of Euler. Um, But I think that we don't have enough information. And I'll be honest, I, I have mixed feelings on them depending on how they are implemented hmm. uh, and, and, and how, how much of the education they fund. And, and that's because I, I do not feel that an ISA should ever be stacked on top of federal loans, right? Because you're really, our federal loan system, as broken as it may be, and that's a whole different show if we want to talk about it, <laughs> um, has an income-driven payment opportunity. Right. And so people can take out those loans and depending on how they're doing financially, they can repay over the next 20 to 25 years, a percentage of their income. In essence, that's what an income share agreement is doing. Um, But the idea of stacking two income based programs on top of each other does not feel good to me as a solution for students. Um, it, it doesn't feel any better than say a private loan. Sure. Right? sure. Um, except, except the calculation of, of the repayment option is, is different. Um, now there are, there are some advantages to ISEs in particular to programs that may not be eligible for title four funding, right? Like that, that's more of a, a creative way to, to bring students into certificate and training courses um, and be able to fund them in, in a way and, and they don't have loans because they're not title four eligible. Um, but I just, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm a mixed bag on yeah. ISAs. Um, and I, I feel like we don't, 
because it's a new space, and I know I just talked about overregulation in our federal system, but I feel like there probably aren't enough requirements and protections in place for the school for students as they stand today. Um, I'm not I'm not sure that there's a lot of transparency uh, there, but I'm not again. I'm not as familiar with that space, so I don't want I don't want someone <laughs> I don't want someone like coming at me about that. Um, and and I think I'm not sure that that I'm not sure presenting kind of the option of federal aid route versus ISE route. Like, I'm not sure that that actually simplifies. Hmm. The conversation about funding, hmm. um, because you know, again, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think did, that that's. That... Did I sufficiently not answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think right, like your your uh, journey to answering the question is is sort of like the the very tension that exists right now, right? Like, which is like, yeah, how do we think about these new things? Like, okay, hey, if for some students, right, like if you're depending on the 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 major or program that you're pursuing right if there's a uh, high growth potential in that field right if it, if you're going to graduate and have the opportunity to make a good salary from you know day one but just have nothing that you can put down towards school right now like maybe isas are an interesting route for some schools to consider depending on the program right but of course you know then it gets super super complicated very quickly and and i'm with you i think that like uh you know Austin, I can't remember his last name. Is I don't know if it's it's not Austin Reef. It's it's somebody else who's the um, founder of Lambda School. He even talks about this on a couple of podcasts I've I've listened to, where he says, you know, there's still like a fifty fifty chance that like ISAs and and Lambda even really work, right? Like it, it's mm -hmm. still it is so unknown still, uh, and for you know as as broken and or as um, not broken, but as as challenged as our current system is, like it it's proven to work right again depending on who you ask but over over decades right over over a longer period of time and so you know i, I think that there's a lot of work to be done as, as you've uh so so neatly outlined for us um but yeah i think the jury's still out on isas i always get excited about sort of like creative ideas for how to think about student funding um and how to really encourage the why why i love alternative career paths and our alternative education paths um, is mostly because I think it challenges higher ed to to get better at what they're best at, right? Which is, hey, higher ed is, it, colleges and universities are great, great places. And we don't talk enough about sort of the, the incredible value that they do deliver to mm -hmm. students, right? They get critiqued a ton. Um, and I yeah. think like when like, the lambdas of the world pop up, right? Even as, you know, people think about like, why, 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 you know, over this past year, why am I paying what I'm paying when I could get a better quality experience via Coursera, right? In terms mm -hmm. of production of virtual online learning content, right? Like, and I think, but what, why I like these, these quote unquote competitors is because I think it, it forces uh, the bureaucracy that can exist within higher ed to, to check itself a little bit and think, oh, hey, you know, we, we, we should keep an eye on this, right? How, how are we evolving, right? How, how are students thinking differently about the value of education? And what does that mean for us all the way down to affordability and like the yep. price tag that is associated with this thing? So these businesses, right? These, these schools, uh, quote unquote, air quotes, schools are 
that what they're doing is is tying right your outcome to their outcome in a very literal way. Um, college and universities, not so much. They like to they like to talk a lot about outcomes, but like in terms of incentives, they're not totally aligned. Um, so, anyways, that that was a, a soapbox moment. But um, I'm curious just to to ask you a couple a couple final questions here. One, just around, I love your the idea around uh, aid officers being seen as like financial advisors, right? And sort of like this idea that like the role itself, the expectations for people in the aid office need need to change. And I think like, I don't think I know that there is a, a, a lack of financial literacy um, f- throughout, right? Most of America, but especially as you're a young high school student um, and thinking about college. And so what does that mean to you? Like how, how, how does that actually, like what, what specific things do you think that aid officers need to do differently to act more like financial advisors? Yeah, I think that there's, there's a couple of things. Um, it's, it's rare to find someone who can be both an accountant and, um, and a, a wealth advisor, right? Like, yeah. or, or a financial advisor. And this is kind of where, where I, where I relate it to people, right? Um, so we have accountants who are really great at doing our taxes and following our, the regulations and checking the box and telling us what, what the safe spaces are and the, the not safe lines to cross, right? Um, and then we have, we have um, wealth advisors or, or investment advisors who are really there to help educate us, to lay out our options, to design a strategy around our our propensity to risk our age, right? And they're they're creating this complex investment strategy so that we can actually retire. And they're working with us. They're getting to know us personally. And, And that's kind of what I see I see a similar differentiation in in financial aid, right? Like we still we still have space for for the accountants, um, but we need to create more space for for those financial advisors to be able to really help students. And so there's there's probably some there's probably some skill set identification that needs to happen there, right? Around around those interpersonal skills and and things like that. We also need to give them the tools um, and the time to be mm. able to do that, right? It, if you don't have, if if you only have, you know, three minutes a student, it, there's it, it's hard to get in to that mindset. Um, but we needed to give them the framework and the tools to be able to have those conversations. And when I say tools, right, some of it is around, um, you know, the virtual advising. So the ability to, to identify questions that can be answered through automation and through technology. If you think about um, using a chat bot or again, using some of those proactive communications, video content to be able to teach students um, and then need to have the appropriate escalation paths for people to be able to connect with, with the highly personalized conversations and discussions Another tool that they need, again, they need funding tools, 
right? Like if, yeah. if part of this is around funding, um, we need, we need to give them, we need to give them opportunities. I was, I was speaking with an institution the other day that talked about how they've given counselors the ability to access certain dollar amounts of emergency funds or even um, cafeteria points for a student who's who's facing a financial crisis, right? Like that's a great tool. What we need to do more of is empowering our aid administrators to actually solve problems. Um, mm. So that means we need to we need to make them feel empowered. That we need to that they need to feel like they have options and that they have the authority to be able to do something. Really, everything in financial aid is checked and balanced. Right. And so at some point you need to be able to say to someone like, I trust you. Yeah. Like I trust in you and your discretion. Here are the boundaries work within them. But right now we've got people so locked down that it's, it's hard to be creative. Yeah. I, I, I think one of my takeaways from this conversation is, is thinking about sort of, um, the creativity that could happen. Um, within how schools think about their aid offers, how schools think about structuring their their teams, um, how schools think about empowering uh, financial aid counselors to be creative with their decision making, and I think that that's a conversation that I I never hear. Um, again, I'm not super, I'm not as in tune uh, to these conversations as you are, but I think that that's. The idea of there being creativity and uh, flexibility in sort of this arena is sort of the antithesis of like what you think when you think financial aid. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> so my, my, my final question for you is just a rough, like, okay, you are given a magic wand, right? And you are able to overnight uh, wave it and schools, at least a large segment of colleges and universities, um, will do whatever you say with respect to financial aid. Um, Amy's roadmap, like how do you crawl, walk, run for schools, for our listeners today who, again, are mostly enrollment marketers who are, you know, have a relationship with financial aid. They might even have a, a shared communications person as you, as you chatted about. Um, but what is the solution here? Like, how, how do we go about starting making pro, uh, starting to make progress in this sort of direction, according to Amy? Yeah, so I think, so first of all, we are thinking about this a lot um, and, and are trying to put our, our thoughts on it to, you know, pen to paper um, here with, with a book project, just being honest to try and, to try and create a bit of a roadmap. But um I think the most important thing is the fact that we're having a discussion about this. Mm. Uh, so we at Campus Logic, we have been talking about student financial success for probably 18 months to two years. Um, and and now we're we're starting to get some traction, right? We're having conversations with people like you. Um, we're, we're spreading the word about it. I think that this all starts with having a conversation and creating a really safe space to have that conversation. Remember I said 
how right in financial aid, our mindset so often is that it's going to be punitive, right? Mm-hmm. If we talk, if we, if we talk about, like, if we talk about that problem, if we, if we talk about this, because there, I think we're getting better at it with the alignment between enrollment and financial aid. But I can tell you when I was in, when I was in schools, we'd miss a number and it was like, well, we brought in enough candidates financially, like couldn't get them through the funding journey. Right. Mm. And so there's still, for some of us that have been in the industry, right, we really need to make sure we're creating a safe space to have these conversations with our, with our, with our financial aid executives and our enrollment teams to be able to say like, okay, really, like what's working? What can we do differently? Um, we also, we have some schools that are doing really amazing things with this already. Hmm. We need to do a better job of elevating them, having conversations with them and talking about how schools, you know, have taken financial aid and, and the funding portion, and they've turned those individuals and that process into an accelerator to enrollment and not a barrier to it. Um, and people are doing it, right? So we mm. should do everything to, to es- escalate um, those conversations. And really my other thing is I want schools to understand that like the iterative development and rollout process is okay. So hmm. I was, before I came to a software company, did not really understand like the agile um, philosophy, the lean philosophy and, and being a part of this team over the last eight years, I've, I've really begun to appreciate this idea of getting something out there, testing it, getting some feedback, iterating on it, right? Like we don't have to be at a hundred percent when we roll something out. We mm. actually need to make, we need to get things out there. A good thing, like it has to be quality, right? It can't be complete crap, but it, it has to be, you know, a solid like B level effort. And yeah. then you you tweak it, you adjust it, you see what's working. And here's a thought. Talk to your students. Mm-hmm. Right? This, is, this is something like totally foreign to financial aid, right? Like why would I ever put my award letter in front of someone when they're just going to be like, that sucks. Okay, great. It sucks. We all know it sucks. Tell me why, right? Like what would make this better? When I got into financial aid, I wasn't that far removed in age and experience from my students, right? Unfortunately, as time does to everybody, I am much more removed from our students than I used to be. (laughs) them, learn what's working for them. How do they want you to communicate? What mediums are they using? You know, what tools are good for them? Um, and we, we need to do more of that. And I think we do like in the admissions and the enrollment side, right? I think we engage a little bit more with, with the student community and we really kind of do focus groups, like what's working, what landed, what didn't land, right? We do it through student workers sometimes needs to happen 100% of the time in the eight offices as well. So well said. Um, well, Amy, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. Um, and I, I know that this is, uh, this is a topic that needs to be 
discussed more um, in in higher ed. And I think our my encouragement to our listeners today is set up a meeting with somebody from financial aid, right? Go uh, get some time on their calendar, do a virtual coffee chat or a virtual happy hour, maybe, and just explore, talk about, hey, what what are the biggest friction points that you're that you're dealing with right now? I think a lot of the time there is that disconnect, right, between what uh, enrollment management is doing and what financial aid is doing, or you know, admissions and, and, and financial aid a little bit more specifically. And I think that the the schools that can close that can break down those silos and the schools that can build those bridges um, are the schools that are going to thrive um, and not just not just survive in the coming years. And so it, it starts there. It starts with a collaboration. And then I love I love the idea of how do we think about this as a creative problem to solve and not something, not, not sort of like a process that just needs to be followed or not sort of, you know, some regulation that just needs to be implemented or adhered to, but actually, Hey, this is a framework with a really, really, really big problem, but this is the sandbox that we get to work in together to help solve that problem. So thank you for your time. If folks want to learn more about campus logic or, or just get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, so Campus Logic in general, I would say that our website, campuslogic.com, is the best way to, to get in touch with us. Um, if someone's looking to learn more about me, I'm on Twitter, amyglenn15. I'm on Medium um, and on LinkedIn, super happy to connect. And just I'll put a plug in in general. Um, if people are interested in staying staying engaged in student financial success, there is a website, studentfinancialsuccess.com, where there are resources to a LinkedIn community, a Slack community, and we actually host a virtual summit um, around student financial success called the Shift Summit. And I would encourage I would encourage voices from the enrollment management um, side of, of the house to be to be a part of that with their financial aid teams, right? Our, our vision of that is that this is really a place to bring together both sides um, to be able to advocate and educate on the importance of the funding journey to students' ability to be able to earn a credential. Fantastic. And we'll go ahead and um, link all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this conversation, just scroll down on your phone or um, scroll down on your your computer and uh, you can go and click through to find links to those communities and those resources. But thank you, Amy, so much again for for your time. It was a, a privilege getting to chat with you. Thanks, Zach. I appreciate it. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management, and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.